It is good to be back at Central. We're going to pray together. If you want to join in praying by coming here to the altar, you're welcome to uh, come down at this time as we go to the Lord and present our requests and our, our heart to Him. Let's pray together. Jesus, your name, more powerful than all, the name that we call out when we're like Peter sinking in the ocean, the name we call out in the darkest days and the greatest days, your name, especially this time of year for us when we remember and celebrate your first coming. Lord, this morning we desire to honor you with our songs, reading your word, hearing your word. Lord, we are so thankful for your presence with us, and we know that you have entered into this place with us. Where two or more are gathered, you are there. So, Lord, we are so thankful that we could enter into your presence today together. What a joy it is to come together as a, a church family, as a family of believers to worship you. Lord, we pray this morning that your name would be exalted. Lord, we pray this morning that you would speak as we open up your word here in just a minute. Lord, I pray that you would speak through it. We need you to speak. Desperately, Lord, we need you to speak. So we pray this morning, Lord, that your will would be done in our lives as we listen to your spirit. Lord, that we would be ready to follow that we would be ready to repent, to turn from the things that are wrong and to confess them and make it right. Lord, to be the people, to be the church that this world, this community needs, that our families need. Lord, we pray that you would bless this time. You have already blessed the next few moments that we spend in your word together. In Jesus' name, we pray all of this. Amen. Well, it is good to be back with you this morning. We're going to open up the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. If you're not quite sure where Matthew is, you can turn to Malachi and then go to the right. Because Malachi is real easy to find, right? You know. I'm glad to be back. Those of you that I haven't met before, I am Steve Brazell. I'm the Director of Missions for Unity Baptist Association. I thought I would share with you just briefly a little bit about what's happened in our year and kind of where we are because I don't get to be here as often as I was uh, um, a couple of years ago at this time. Um, but we've had a great year within our association. Um, appreciate your church and your support of the work that we do in Polk and Angelina County and uh, that support not only financially, but also prayers and participation and all of that. Uh, we are grateful for that. 
We're going to finish this year in the black financially for the first time since 2013. That's pretty good, right? We're pleased about that. And I appreciate you and your, your partnership with us in that. Uh, we've got two churches right now within our association that we're working with through revitalization. One of those churches a year ago was running about 20 to 25. Right now they're running 45 to 50. So we're excited about that. One of the, the other church is running about 20 to 25 right now. They're just beginning this process. So we appreciate your prayers and encouragement and support for that because we believe in the church. The church is the bride. And we want the church to look good, don't we? When, when the groom shows up, we want the church looking good. So that's uh, our emphasis on having churches be healthy and growing. We also, in the second year of our partnership with the state of Vermont, this past year we took two mission trips to Vermont. We took eight the first time. Then I took a group of pastors, took uh, five people with me that went up in uh, October to meet with people up there. And we're excited about what God is doing in Vermont this next year. We're taking a trip that's two parts. It's actually two trips in one. The last week of June, we're going to take a group to go up and work on Northeastern Baptist College, which is the only conservative evangelical college in all of New England. And we're also going to have a group go up and do a retreat for pastors and their families. Because most of the pastors up there don't get any time away where they can just be with their family. So we're going to do that retreat. In addition to that, we have two pastors with their families that we're paying for them to, we're flying them down to our, our area. One of them is going to be staying out on Lake Livingston. One's going to be spending a week up on Lake Sam Rayburn. And it's all expenses paid, just vacation. And the two guys that we've worked with, one of them has, well, I think one has two kids that are coming. One's got four kids that are coming. And they haven't had vacation in over 10 years, either one of them. Because when they get time off, they go back to their home churches and try to raise money to help support them while they're up in Vermont. Uh, most of them work two to three jobs uh, as well as pastoring their church. So we're excited to be able to offer that opportunity for those guys and uh, families to be able to get away. That's a part of our partnership with them, and we're looking forward to that this summer. And then we're also excited about what our disaster relief unit has done. They were in Florida after the hurricane that hit there. Uh, they served, I think the number was right at 60,000 meals in a week, or two weeks. They were there two weeks. I think they served 60,000 meals in that two weeks to people hit by the hurricane that went through there. So we just think it's great. And I appreciate you and your pastor and your staff in helping make that happen. That's a part of your ministry as a church is all of those things. Well, let's dive into Matthew chapter 1, the story of Joseph. You know about Joseph? You know, we don't know much about Joseph. Truth is, we don't have hardly any information about Joseph. We know that he's a descendant of David. We know that he was a carpenter. Um, we know that, uh, well, he wasn't wealthy. He, he was not particularly influential. He didn't have any power. He was just a guy, not a man of consequence, I think we would say, in his general life. We have no idea how old he was. But the one thing that we do know is that Joseph was chosen by the Lord to be the earthly father of Jesus. So therefore, there must have been something about Joseph, right? There must have been something. I mean, the Lord wouldn't have just picked anybody for that role, would he? 
So let's read about Joseph. Chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. I think the one thing that we know about Joseph, I think we can say with certainty, is that Joseph was a man of high character. He was a man of high character. And we can say that we believe Joseph loved God's Word. He loved God's Word. He wanted to live by God's Word. That Word that speaks of what I might call mercy directed by righteousness. I think throughout God's Word, sometimes we look at, and remember all he had was the Old Testament, and sometimes we look at the Old Testament and think, well, that's, you know, God is just, right? In the New Testament, God is love. But that's not true, is it, that it's separate? God is both love and just in the Old Testament, just as he is love and just in the New Testament, right? And that Joseph was a man who knew the Old Testament and lived by it in a way that he had both love and justice, mercy directed by righteousness. I would say that we tend, as humans, to kind of go one way or the other. We tend to hit the, the extremes. We're either all love or we're all righteousness, aren't we? We really struggle holding this tension between these two of having mercy and love directed by righteousness. A lot of times we end up with mercy without direction. We just love people, right? To, we're soft. Uh, we don't have a willingness to stand up for truth and righteousness because we want everybody to feel good. We want everybody to feel accepted. This person becomes a pushover where they just kind of let things happen to them or let things happen to others, convincing themselves that with the highest value and the hierarchy of values, the highest of those is mercy. And so they have no standards, and they become frustrating to be around because you never know if there's anything that that person will ever stand for. In fact, you'd have no idea where they stand, do you? They just want to love people, and they want people to feel better about themselves. And I think we see that a lot, don't we? We see that a lot in our world, and truth is it happens a lot among believers. A lot of times we kind of edge over to this side. But the opposite of that is just as bad, just as detrimental, and, and that is when we have this righteousness that has no gentleness. No, we make the stand. Everybody knows where we stand, and we make sure they know where we stand, and often we use harsh words rather rashly to make sure that people know where we stand. And we can justify our outburst of anger because we are standing for righteousness. Even if we're angry while we're doing it, 
And even if it means we have to humiliate somebody to make sure they know we're right and they're wrong. It's a problem, isn't it? You know, the truth is, often we find ourselves on that side, don't we? There are some people that are so soft, you never have any idea what they stand for, if they stand for anything. But there are other people that are so hard that you know right where they stand. You just don't want to stand with them or near them. Because the reality is, is that the more you want to make sure everybody knows what is right and what is wrong, the smaller your circle tends to get. You tend to find other things that other people have done that make them wrong, and your circle gets very, very small. It's a hard and a lonely place to live. But I tell you, the other side is a hard and a lonely place, a lonely place to live with because they never take a stand. Joseph was not that guy. Joseph had mercy, but Joseph also knew to stand for righteousness. You see what happened when he finds out that his uh, bride-to-be, Mary, is pregnant— what does it say that he's going to do? It says in, in uh, verse 18 that it, when it was discovered that she was pregnant in verse 19, so her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Now, if we can, just a moment, without, if, just pretend you don't know the rest of the story right now, okay? Can you do that? Just pretend you don't know the rest of it. Guys, you're engaged to a girl and you know that you have never had any sexual relationship with her at all. And she comes to you one day and says, I'm pregnant. Now, that's not a fun conversation, is it? But then she says, but don't worry. It's from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, because that happens all the time. You believe in that story? No way. No, I mean, be honest. Not one of you. Some of you are going, oh, yes, I believe her. Absolutely. You're too, uh, you know, uh, self-righteous for your own good. You wouldn't believe it. You would say, you're lying. Everybody knows you're lying. Nobody gets, nobody, has anybody ever before this gotten pregnant from the Holy Spirit? Has anybody since? No. What makes you think you're the one, right? I mean, that seems natural, doesn't it? The, the obvious reaction, you're crazy. You've lost it, girl. So Joseph, I don't think, believed her. I think that's pretty obvious he didn't believe her. But Joseph was not going to humiliate her, which he could, right? You know, if he was the guy that was all about righteousness, he would probably humiliate her, wouldn't he? He would probably stand in the middle of the street and tell people, do you know what Mary has done? But he wasn't going to do that because he was a man of righteousness directed by his mercy and mercy directed by his righteousness. Those two things were together. He was going to be merciful to her, but he wasn't going to say, well, that's okay. No big deal, Mary. I know it's hard for you. He wasn't going to say that either. He was going to divorce her secretly, put her away. You need to go somewhere else and have this baby, and we're not going to get married, and that's okay, but you need to go take care of your baby, and I'm going to get on with my life, find somebody else that will be true to me, unlike you, Mary. I mean, doesn't that seem like probably what he was thinking? Makes sense, doesn't it? Let's not try to pretend that Joseph was some super saint who never had these thoughts. Certainly he did. 
He loved God's word and he knew that what she had done was wrong and he wasn't going to condone it, but he wasn't going to humiliate her either. Friends, I think sometimes in our zeal to be right, we humiliate people that are already struggling and hurting. I'm not saying don't be right and stand for righteousness. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying find a way to do that without humiliating somebody. Can we do that? Can we struggle with that? I think we ought to. Let me just say, this is not just the big things. You know, I know some of you are thinking about the big stuff, right? But there are little things that happen within your family every day, every week, where somebody makes them. Anybody here married to somebody that's ever done something wrong? Come on now. If, if you are, just give them a little sharp elbow in the side. Yeah, if you just got elbowed in the side, then elbow them back and say, you did it too. It's true, right? But just because someone does something wrong doesn't mean we have to go out in public about it, does it? Do you have to put it on Facebook and call them out? Is that, is that like somewhere in Scripture? Did I miss that verse in Scripture? Thou shalt put, put people's faults on Facebook? I don't think so. We need to love and be merciful, and we need to hold to righteousness too. Hold to righteousness too. We'll come back to that. I think it's clear that he loved God's word, but he also loved Mary. That's obvious, isn't it? I mean, that's part of the reason that he wanted to put her away quietly, right? I mean, you see how he treated her before he knew what had actually happened, before he knew the whole story. Proverbs 15, 18, you may know this verse. You may not know it and not realize you know it. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one slow to anger calms strife. Mary went to Joseph to tell him, at that moment, I think we would all understand if he blew up, don't you? But somewhere in there, he became slow to anger. He didn't jump down her throat and make rash decisions. He didn't go ballistic on her because he loved her. Even before he knew the whole story, he acted in love towards her. But once he knew the whole story, I mean, look how he treated her after he knew the whole story. Right? He, goes to, he, he goes to sleep. Right? Verse 20 says, He had considered these things, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. He was thinking about what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. He was working the whole thing out in his mind, right, about how he was going to go through this and where she would go and how he could take care of her and make sure that baby was cared for and whatever else, right? He was thinking about all of this, and he goes to sleep one night. In the middle of the sleep, he has this dream where an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Hey, listen, Joseph, you need to know this. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Well, that's what she said. It was from the Holy Spirit. And now the angel says it's from the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, what would it take for you to believe Mary? I don't know about you, but I'd probably need an angel showing up in the middle of a dream too, don't you think? I mean, that's what it took. And that's where God came to, Mary, to Joseph and told him what's happened is indeed from the Holy Spirit. And how did he treat her after that? 
he took her in, right? It says he married her. You go down to verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, and he married her immediately. Once he knew, he treated her with love, didn't he? But let me tell you, let's just be honest about this, okay? How many people did an angel appear to and tell them that the baby that Mary was going to have was conceived from an angel, from, from the Holy Spirit. How many people? Two, right? Mary and Joseph. So, parents of grown children, your son comes to you and says, you know that girl I'm going to marry? Well, she's pregnant. Oh my gosh, Joseph, this is terrible. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Oh my gosh, who was she with? It was the Holy Spirit. Joseph, you're an idiot. She told you that and you believe that story? Well, I didn't believe it when she told me, but then I had a dream and an angel told me. Oh my gosh, Joseph. What is wrong with you, son? Right? And what were the neighbors saying? I mean, that's what the parents said. What are our our neighbors going to say? What is your grandmother going to think? Right? You know this was happening, right? In fact, I'm going to show you proof of it. You can keep your finger there, but look at John chapter 8, verse 41. This is a conversation where Jesus is having, a, as as he often has, a uh, conflict with some scribes and, and Pharisees, right? In John chapter 8, verse 41, Jesus tells them they are sons of Satan, right? And he says, you're doing what your father does. And look at what they say back to him. We weren't born of sexual immorality. We have one father, God. Now, what do you think that was about? Jesus is 30-something years old when this happens. And everybody knew where he came from. At least they thought they did, right? The rumors the things being said about him, as he began to travel and began to preach and began to do miracles, and they did an investigation to find out where he came from, and people said, well, his parents said that he came from the Holy Spirit that impregnated her, but I mean, who really believes that? And they knew that, and finally it came out when they were in conflict with him, and he said, you know what, your father is the devil, and they said, well, we don't even know, our father's not the devil, but we don't know who your father is, because we weren't born out of sexual immorality like you were. You think Joseph had to put up with that and Mary had to put up with that for nine months until Jesus was born and then for the rest of their lives, don't you think? And everybody knew and Jesus heard it when he was out on the playground. I mean, I'm just imagining this, right? He's out on the playground when he's working Somebody gets mad at him about something that he did. That he didn't, they didn't like the way he did something because that's the way people are. We just tend to not like the way something's done even when it's done perfectly. In all of his life, he'd heard that. At least I'm not the child of sexual immorality like you. Because everybody knew, didn't they? At least they thought they did. And Joseph was willing to put up with that 
because he loved Mary. And he knew that when he took her to be his wife, I mean, he knew. He may not have understood it fully, but he knew what he would have to hear. You know, when Jesus was born and after they came back and everybody heard about it and there were people counting up the months, right? When did they get married? Come on now, y'all know that happens, right? Happened his whole life. Let me tell you something, when you love somebody, you have to be willing to put up with all the stuff that comes with them. That's what love is. He loved Mary. And he loved God. I mean, that's obvious, isn't it? Joseph loved the Lord. So he understood, maybe more than any of us, how easy it is to be obedient when you know, when you are certain that God is leading when you are certain that God is walking you down a path, it becomes much easier to be obedient. Even when it's difficult and hard and painful and people are against you and saying things about you and all the horrible things that may happen during your life. If you know you're walking on a path that the Lord has ordained, you can do it anyway. You'll put up with it. Because this is where the Lord put me, and this is what the Lord told me to do. And so even when, I'm sure, even when he began to hear those things and put up with those things, and they were ostracized from different places in community, he would go back to that dream that he had when he knows, that he knows, that he knows that the Lord spoke to him, and he knows that the Lord led him. And as hard as it is, I know I'm doing what God told me to do. I'm going to tell you, that is, that is an amazing confidence when you are certain that you are where the Lord wants you, doing what God wants you to do, you can put up with a lot, and it's much easier to be obedient when you're sure you're right where God wants you. It's much easier. It's why it's so important that we seek God's will and not just try to get him to bless our will. We need to find his will, what he wants for us. So then when it gets hard, when it gets difficult, when it gets challenging, it's tough. But boy, the Lord put me here and the Lord called me to this. And, and I know that this is what God wants me to do. I don't understand what's going on, but I'm certain this is what the Lord wants. It becomes much easier. In spite of all the challenges, you go without hesitation Immediately he marries her. He does not have any sexual relations with her until the baby is born because he wants to make sure everybody knows this was from the Holy Spirit, whether they'll believe it or not. He was sure this is what God wanted him to do. I could tell you a million stories about that. Some of you could tell a million stories about that, couldn't you? I'll just tell you one because I mentioned to you earlier about our friends in um, Vermont. One of those guys has some Texas ties, spent some time in the Houston area, but he planted a church in Oregon. How about that? And then the Lord called him to go to Vermont from Oregon, from one coast to the other coast. So a couple of, well, just the last two years ago, two years ago, he moved to Vermont. 
to plant a church. He's planting a church in Mount Pillar, which is the capital city of Vermont. And there he went to the local police department. His name is Chap. Chap had been, uh, he got that nickname because he's a chaplain. He'd served as a chaplain for 15 years while he was in Oregon. Had been certified by multiple different organizations, including national secular organizations, as a chaplain. So when he went to Mount Pillar to the police captain, the, uh, the chief of police, to ask him about being a chaplain for their police department, the, well, he was interested. The police chief was very interested in this. And so he had the attorney general of Vermont check Chap out. He sent him through three to, diff- to four different vetting processes, interviewed him four different times. And finally, last year, he announced to his city, we are going to have a chaplain for the police department for the first time in the history of the Mount Pillar Police Department. We are going to have a chaplain. He was excited about it because the Black Lives Matter movement had really spread a lot of distrust around. People didn't have a trust for the police. He thought this will help us build some community relationships. And when he said that Chap is going to be our new chaplain, he's the pastor of a new church, a new Baptist church just started here in Mount Pillar. That happened on a Monday. By Monday afternoon, the knives were out for Chap. Tuesday, the protesters were going. They were, they were spray painting vulgar statements on the side of his church. They were picketing outside of his home. He has a teenage daughter in high school, in the public high school, who was hearing terrible things said about her father everywhere. And by Friday, the police chief called Chap and said, we're going to have to call it off. I've got too much political pressure. I can't do it. Is that fair? Is it right? I don't think so. Is it good? Absolutely not. Is it detrimental to the community? I think so. Was it hard on chap? Absolutely. Maybe the hardest thing for him was not the things that they said about him, but the things that they said about him and about his daughter to his daughter. In a lot of places in Vermont, which is the least churched state in America, in a lot of places in Vermont, in a high school of a thousand, there might be 10, maybe 10 Christian students total. It's tough. But Chap knew that he was called by the Lord to plant a church in Mount Pillar, Vermont. And so he stayed. And today he continues to work to reach his community and to help them understand the glory of the gospel. And the reason he does that is not because it's easy and not because he's getting paid a lot, which he's not, and not because the community loves him, because they don't. He does it because he is certain that the Lord called him there. And so he will put up with a lot of stuff that some of us would just go crazy ballistic on people about. And he will love them with grace while still holding to righteousness. And there are thousands of other stories like that. Is that your story? Do you know what God has called you to? Are you willing to love and to be patient to hold the standards and still be merciful and gracious 
Do you love the people around you in a way that they know that no matter what happens and no matter what is said and no matter what they do, you will love them and you will act. Show them your love. Let me just finish with this, okay, this idea for you. This is, I believe, this mercy and righteousness, I believe it is the gospel. You see, the gospel does not make allowances for sin. You understand what that means? To make an allowance for sin is to say, hey, no big deal. Hey, don't worry about it. No big deal. Everybody does it. No problem. The gospel doesn't say that, does it? The gospel is righteousness. But the gospel is also mercy and love, isn't it? And so instead of making allowances for sin, the gospel makes atonement for sin. Atonement for sin. What is it that the angel told Joseph? That baby that Mary is pregnant with is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son. And you are to name him Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sin. You see, this is love, mercy, and righteousness, isn't it? It's sin. It's not just some little thing that we did. It's sin for which atonement must be made. Now, there's no way that Joseph understood at this point in time what that meant, right? There's no way. And from what we understand, Joseph didn't live to get to see that moment. But Mary did. Mary saw him. She was there at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified, not for the things that he had done, but for the things that Joseph and Mary and the soldiers and the priests and the Pharisees and me and you for what we've done. See, God loves you so much that he would send his son to die for you, but he knows that your sin is so bad that the only way to atone for it is to send his son to die for you. And so he sends his son, Jesus, to save us from our sin. To save us from our sin. Not to excuse it, not to pretend it was no big deal. In fact, it is a big deal, isn't it? So big that Jesus had to die. And this gospel message is the heart of Christmas. I know sometimes that in our minds we think the gospel really is, you know, most exemplified on Easter Sunday, right? And certainly it is exemplified there. It's exemplified every Sunday, but it's exemplified every day. And certainly at Christmas we cannot forget that the first coming of Jesus made possible the cross. And that all of it was leading to a cross and an empty tomb. And there's no better way to celebrate Christmas than to accept the death of Jesus on the cross for your sins. Not to excuse them anymore, not to pretend they're no big deal, but to recognize they are a big deal. They are sins that I have. And my only hope is to be forgiven. And my only hope for forgiveness is Jesus dying on a cross in my place. If that's you this morning, would you give your life to Jesus today? Would you accept his death for you? Would you accept the greatest gift ever given to forgive your sin?
and to give you eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, all the ways that you've worked in our lives, the things you've done, the way you've moved, what you've taught us about what it means to be your children, to be saved by you. Lord, most of all, we thank you today for men like Joseph who loved you enough to do hard things and for Jesus who died on a cross, the hardest thing, because he loved us enough. Heads bowed and eyes closed as God speaking to your heart this morning. Maybe for someone sitting here today, upstairs, downstairs, front or back, the greatest need you have is not to get your Christmas list fulfilled. The greatest need you have is to get your sins forgiven. Maybe you've been a church member for a while, but you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins. You've never committed your life completely to him. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And when we do, if you need to make that decision today, you've got questions about that. You're wondering about that. You just kind of wandered in here at Christmas and you're, you're wondering about this Jesus. When we stand to sing, I'm going to stand down here in front. If you've got questions or you just want somebody to talk or pray with you, I'll be here and I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to visit with you and share with you about Jesus coming. Maybe you're looking for a church to belong to and you've decided you believe God is leading you to Central Baptist Church. This is a great church to be a member of. We'd invite you to come during this time of response. Or you just have another need. You just want to come here and pray. Maybe it is there's somebody that you have acted with harshness and rashness towards. And you're going to have to go talk to them and ask some forgiveness to give them, ask them to give you some mercy when you didn't show them any and seek their forgiveness. You want to come to the altar here and just spend a moment praying. Maybe there's somebody in your family that's lost and you know that and you want to come and pray for them. This is our time to respond to what the Lord has spoken to us. So I invite you to come this morning. We're not going to spend a long time doing this invitation. If nobody comes, I want you to come on the first verse. Come immediately. As soon as we stand in just a minute, you're going to come. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we give you our lives. We make every decision today to your glory, to the glory of the kingdom of our Father and Son, His Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we give you everything. Thank you for your grace and your mercy giving us one more day here. In Jesus' name we pray.